Hi, this is Daly, and welcome to JT's Canadian Corner of the Internet. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again to another episode of Interviewing the Community. Today we are sitting down with Daly, a longtime viewer and good friend of the channel. Uh, Daly has been following and hanging out for most of the marbles and quite a lot of the painting for at least the last two years. Daly, how are you doing today? Doing great, JT. Thanks for having me, man. No problem. Um, this is this is one of those things where it's always really odd. I found uh, not always. You get into that scenario where I know a lot of you guys, and I know a lot of the people coming on, and it's mm -hmm. like now it's this weird dynamic where like I want to talk to you about what you are, and people are like, "Oh, this is weird." So no no nerves, no nothing like that. We're just gonna get straight into it here. Um, we got some short questions up front uh, before we get into the rest of the interview. And we're going to start with what's currently on your paint desk? Currently, well, I mean, unfortunately, I have a ton of stuff on my paint desk. But the most current thing that I'm working on is a uh, ice demon that I'm creating for a uh, uh, for a small competition that's occurring for a Patreon that I'm part of. So, uh, Do you know... Um... What what Patreon and what paint competition is that for? It's uh so it's a uh, Fry's Minis, who's a D and D Minis kind of uh, channel, and uh, he has a YouTube and uh, does a Patreon, and uh, he is set up. So one of the things that I've been trying to work on for myself is getting my stuff out there some more. I got really comfortable putting stuff in Discord for us for this community. Um, but I still have found that I have a hard time pushing myself out there um, for other things. So he has a monthly uh, competition set up for the whole year with themes across every month and then a mini a month and you submit it to, to his community. And I'm trying to push myself out there to actually complete one of those every month. Well, that's every month. That's, yeah. that's sweet. Um, I had no idea. That's uh, more learning. Big fan of that. Um, yeah. And as far as on my paint desk, uh, I've got that speed paint from Friday that we were working on, which is a wizard, Pathfinder wizard from Reaper. Mm -hmm. And uh, I've got a reasonably large pile of shame behind me. <laughs> um, maybe not quite as large as your own pile of shame. but It, it is expansive, yes. Uh, I, also I, I like to think of it as a pile of opportunity, JT. Yes, it's, absolutely. It, I am not ashamed of how many pieces of plastic I've buried under you. <laughs> okay, as long as you were aware you were buried under them. <laughs> um, so, uh, take us back to the beginning, Daly. What, uh, what event, what thing, what uh, day, what got you into miniature painting or the hobby? Sure. Uh, so kind of a two-parter um i was playing D, D very early on uh end of junior high school through high school with a group of friends that i had and uh at the time uh we were playing uh, a dark sun campaign and i played a thrycreen which was like an insectoid race and my dm at the time uh picked up some ralpartha minis and painted them all up for us and um I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. That's something I'd totally love to get into. Uh, and just never did. Um, so 
move on to uh, I turned 40, um, just had a couple of couple of kids. And, uh, you know, I'm like, I, I love DMing. Um, and I've got this great group that I, I've set up now over the last couple of years. And one of them started 3D printing and gave me this uh, frost giant. Uh, it, terrible print, uh, l- layer lines everywhere. Like just, you know, he was just getting into the hobby and, and he was like, hey, I know you said you wanted to paint. Just paint this, uh, you know, here, have it. So I painted it up. Uh, I went out and I got uh, uh, a little set of D&D paints um, that you see at your local hobby stores and uh, just started painting it up. And I was like, oh, you know, this is pretty satisfying, but I, I am absolutely terrible. And uh, uh, so that that started the I want to get better at this um, and I want to be able to put down minis and terrain onto my table for my players that they're going to be able to uh, really immerse themselves in the story that I, I'm trying to tell. Um, so that's kind of where, where it started. And then the pandemic hit and we stopped playing at tables and I have tons of terrain and ton- tons of minis and uh, we're playing online. And I realized kind of like the painting a little bit more than I thought I would. And so I go, I go a bit crazy and I, I buy, you know, 300 Reaper paints and thousands of, you know, whiz kids and Reaper models and back every Kickstarter for every mini I can possibly find that I find even mildly interesting and, uh, and just start, you know, progressively trying to make myself better. It became a push, not for pushing things to the table because painting to tabletop level seems kind of easy to me now, but pushing to paint at a higher level each time I, each time I lay a mini out in front of me now. And that's, and that's awesome. And I love, I love the, um, Hey, uh, this is good, but I'm garbage at it. everybody says that right off the yeah. hook, by the way. Um, yeah, that's, that's wonderful. So you primarily into D and D, uh, do you, do you do any war gaming? You got a like skirmish games or anything? It's funny to that be, extent? because at the same time that uh, I was trying to decide whether whether I wanted to get back into gaming in general outside of video gaming, I had I'd gone almost full PlayStation video gaming, PC gaming, and had stepped away from the tabletop and everything else. Uh, I I started looking into things. I had lots of friends that were playing Warhammer, and I was like, and it was playing uh, fantasy, um, not uh, 40k. And I was like, oh yeah, this this uh, this looks really cool. And I went in to a store here locally and uh, tried to involve myself in the community. And it was so toxic that it absolutely turned me away from any kind of skirmish games. And I, I mean, I know that's one small segment of an entire group, but but the group that I I ended up seeing was just so toxic, unhelpful, didn't didn't show any interest in teaching me or, or having me join them that I was like, you know, um, I think I'm going to go back to D and D where I can create a group and we can create a community. And, and it's, it's a much easier, much easier sell than trying to go to these game stores every, every week and have perfect places of painted plastic and, you know, yeah, I, be great I and everything. I hear you. I think, um, I think that's a lot more common, uh, 
than the community at large of the Warhammer community would like to let on. The there there is a variety of gatekeeping, and we're gonna we're gonna avoid that. Not not because it's not worth discussing, but uh, that'll be another possibly a podcast for another day. The yeah. but that is that's shitty and terrible. I apologize about that. But at least you found a uh, an alternate entry point. Right. Uh, which is the D and D and the Kickstarters. The Kickstarters get you every time. Um, and I didn't yeah. know you had... only for fifty dollars more you could get a hundred more minis. It's it's an amazing thing. Fifty cents <laughs> on the model. Um, I I thankfully I have been uh, gracious enough to not get entirely into the Kickstarter end of life. Um, but there was that was you mentioned a couple of things there at the start that I like to talk to. So this friend of yours that had the 3D printer, and I know mm-hmm. uh, I've referred to you for a lot of 3D printer advice. I'm curious, is that is that the individual that got you into yeah. 3D printing? Yeah, absolutely. He's a terrific guy. He was a co-worker. Um, and he actually kind of started this cascade of a lot of us getting into it. Um, he started with a, an old FDM printer that, you know, he built himself and, you, you know, it's so much easier now than it was, you know, even five years ago where you're pulling pieces and putting things together. And if that's what you're into, it's great, but it's a whole different hobby at that point. Um, you, we're, we're lucky enough now to have printers, both resident and FDM, that you can literally pull out of the box, put a couple screws in it and be off and printing perfect pieces right away. Yeah, the- Um the resin printers are essentially plug and play. Yeah, um, at this point, they really are. So, as long as you can change your FEP by yourself every once in a while, you're good to go. Oh, if I hate changing my FEP sword. Um, <laughs> I just love that I have to have a, a a thing on my phone that allows me to get the perfect pitch on the backside of the FEP as I thump it. Really? Yeah. You have a thing on your phone. Because, like, I was looking, I was changing the FEP on my uh, Mars Pro. Uh-huh. And I was looking for, like, how much gap do I need? And the YouTube comments, of all things, was what directed me into the solution. It's 32 bicycle playing cards is the perfect gap. When you're oh, wow. 32. So, like, you, you set your, your bottom ring down. You put 32 uh-huh. bicycle playing cards. You put the FEP, you put the top ring on, and you secure it, and it's perfect. That's amazing. Not 30, not, not 28, <laughs> not, thir- not 40, <laughs> not 40. 32, <laughs> which I thought was hilarious because I was looking for quite a long time, like, what what does that flex mm-hmm. need to be? And there was a guy who would, the guy who would ask the question in YouTube comments, he's like, hey, about how many playing cards thick is this? And then he responded to himself and said, it's 32 for anybody who wants to know. That's amazing. So he went out and did his own research. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and and then on top of that, there are myriads of people below that in the comments that are like 32 works perfectly. 32 works perfectly. And somebody says, I tried with 34 and it didn't work. Or I tried with 18 and didn't. Like, it was one of those rare times where I thought, you know, this is what YouTube comments should be for everything and not just the like straight up flame <laughs> hate war. Yeah, the, being... the toxicity that it is. Yeah, the the cesspool that is YouTube comments. Which is like my only my only plus to YouTube comments that you will ever hear come out of my mouth. <laughs> oh. I because, was here when, <laughs> because for the most part, like 
it's just not not awesome. The um, yeah. So, so we've got we've got the three D printers, and you started D and D in junior high school, and you went from there. You got back in it. You tried to get into skirmish games, and dudes are a bunch of dicks. And <laughs> now you're back into D and D, which is fantastic. So when you when you restarted this at forty years old, um, what was one thing? One thing you wish wish you knew getting into it again uh, when you got back into the hobby, what's one thing you wish you knew early on? So I mean from like your first mini to the mini you're painting now, what is what is one thing you wish you knew, whether it be like a wet palette or or something like that? Yeah. So if we're talking tools, definitely wet palette and and being able to um thin my paints because I think that's a journey that everybody takes uh, early on in their, in their painting journey. But um, if you're talking about mentally, I think for me, I wish that I would have given myself a bit of a break, Um, not expect too much out of myself going in. Like look at these people like, you know, your Matt DiPietro's, your uh, Angel Geraldes is and and you know all these amazing painters and appreciate that they've been doing it for a long time and, and they know what they're doing and that you're not going to be there um you're 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 not going to be at that level uh without years of experience uh and you know needless to say there are always savants in something but for the for the majority of us practice is the only way that you're going to get better. And I didn't give myself a lot of chances to practice. I would paint a mini and I would be disappointed. And then I wouldn't pick another mini up for another two or three weeks. Whereas if I had taken what I had learned on that mini that I was just disappointed in and said, Hey, this is what you didn't like. How do we change it? I would have given myself a much better chance at improving and being more confident in my painting early on. That's, that's awesome. And I think everybody, Everybody needs to give themselves a break, um, because that's that's essentially why my army got stripped as many times as it did, and mm-hmm. and some of the models that I fell in love with the army that I have uh, haven't been painted until now is because it's like it's not it's not about churning out a golden demon miniature every miniature you do it's about enjoying the process so thank you for that that was wonderful yeah um so. We're going to kind of dance back and forth here with the rest of the questions as I spoke to you in the pre-ramble. We've got quote-unquote gamer questions and quote-unquote hobbyist questions. So right. we'll, we'll dance back yeah. and forth. So the first on the hobby end of questions is, do you have a favorite line of paint and tools? And if so, why? Okay. Uh, so the thing I have the most of, as I already mentioned, is Reaper paints. And I like Reaper I started with, as I said, the little D&D paints, and then I moved to some Vallejo paints. Um, and I just wasn't consistently getting either the opacity or the colors that I desired. And the first time I put a Reaper paint on a model, I was like, oh, this is it. I barely even had to you know, thin it. It, it gives me the opacity I want. Um, but even though I use mostly Reaper paints and I have thousands of them, my favorite actual... Um, paints are the heavy body acrylics uh from scale 75 uh they're artist lines um and so um i i have been 
dabbling and using them very sparingly and then listening to obviously you and Dan and everybody else using those golden heavy body acrylics. And I'm like this, I get it now, first of all, why, why they're, they're so lovely to work with. Um, but yeah, so I've been, I've been slowly mixing that into, to the repertoire. So if I'm just trying to get some paint down and I, I just want to throw something on our table, uh, I'm going to use my reefer paints every time. They're they're so easy. They slide on. I don't have to worry about them. But if I if I'm going to take some time and actually go through and uh, and try and do a tryhard, it, it, exactly the you know I'm going to get involved with the tryhard this year, and uh, I guarantee you I'll be using those heavy body acrylics or oils. I haven't decided yet. I've been playing with oils too, so uh, we'll see where we end up. I'd like to be uh, Wapelius Junior. Um, <laughs> the way he cranks those things out. And uh, just how amazing they look every time. Uh, he he is he is something else. But that's beside the point. Uh, as far as brushes are concerned, uh, I have not tried your favorite Rosemary and Co. It sounds like Dan also likes Rosemary and Co. I use uh, for basic stuff. I back to Kickstarter. Uh, there's a guy on uh, on Twitch, uh, Redbeard, who does uh, his own line of brushes called the Ghost Brushes. Um, and he sells them on eBay as well, uh, after he gets them kickstarted and they're synthetics and easy to use, uh, for a long time. I was like, oh, I'm only going to use my Raphael's, uh, my, my Maestro's number 10, uh, number ones, um, you know, cause you get caught up in the snobbery of it all. Uh, and I still love my Raphael's. I use them for a lot of my detail work, uh, but my workhorse now is a synthetic ghost brush um, just because I'm not afraid to wreck them. I'm not afraid to try new things with them, you know, and so it makes it easier to, to deal with it's not a $23 brush that I'm destroying. The uh, That's great. So I got a couple of questions to, to follow that up. Um, I, I apologize if you informed me at some point in time that you'd got the heavy body acrylics, but I, a, I think that's awesome that you went to the scale line. Cause that was my first foray into heavy body acrylics as well. And, um, the ghost brushes, that's new to me. I, I had never heard of that. The I'm, I'm interested to learn some more about that and I'll probably have to Google after the, after the interview here, yeah. the, as far as the Rosemary and co is concerned, it's just, what I happen to enjoy, I've I just had some shit luck with Windsor and Newton Series Sevens, mm -hmm. so yeah. And I I actually started with Windsor and Newton Series Sevens, and I hate how fat their bellies are. I, it always felt like I had too much paint, no matter what I tried to do. So, um, so what? Let's let's go back here real quick. And what? Um, did you buy a starter set from the the scale heavy bodies, or did you pick and choose? So for the scale uh, heavy bodies, I backed their basically what's their contrast paint line uh, in a Kickstarter, and part of their add-ons was the heavy body acrylics. I could get them for twenty percent off, and I'd been listening to lots of other people mention that the heavy bodies were uh, a nice way to go. So I picked up basically the starter set. Uh, I think it was. Like you know, 180 bucks or something like that, but it had like 15 different heavy body acrylics in it, um, and uh, and I was like, okay, we're gonna give it a shot. And then I left them on the shelf for a good six months because I didn't want to waste them. Uh, going back to that, 
mentality where you're like, I don't want to paint this model because it's I'm not ready yet. Well, no, you know what? You can buy the model again. Just paint it and figure out where you're at. Um, and so finally, uh, about uh, two months ago, and I, I don't think I had mentioned it to you. Um, I don't know why I just hadn't. But uh, about two months ago, I was like, all right, we've got to get into this because I'm watching all these people do these amazing things with these heavy body acrylics. And and uh, we go ahead and uh, start messing around. Um, so. And that's awesome. I'm glad I'm glad you're enjoying them. Um, the the scale colors, from my experience anyways, just if you do decide to go and dabble in the goldens or the liquid text, mm -hmm. um, the scale color heavy bodies are a little more forgiving as far as miniature painting is concerned than right. your, your golden heavy bodies are. So do keep that in mind if you make the jump to golden and you're like, man, these are weird. like it's there's just mm -hmm. there's something about the formula that's just a little bit different. Um, yeah, the it's a nice stepping stone though I found to go from mm -hmm. the scale heavy bodies into full heavy bodies. It's familiar enough to you once you get into the heavy bodies that you're you're not so out of the water and you just spent thirty dollars right. on a single tube of golden heavy body acrylic and you're like what happened? Um, <laughs> uh, that's awesome. The uh, so we're gonna we're gonna really quickly jump over to a gamer question here. So we we spoke already that you do D and D, yep. and you've tried tried skirmish, tried to get in on that, and that's unfortunate. And so my question here and comes in is how long have you been playing D and D? Uh, if you could tell me if you got like an ongoing campaign, do you have multiple groups you DM for? Yeah. What what's the situation there? So, like I said, I, I started back in, well, here, here we go. Let's start dating myself now. Uh, I started back in 88 uh, and played consistently through college, so probably about 96. You're um, really dating yourself because 88 was when I was born. I, I, I'm well aware of that. My, my, wi my wife was born in 82, okay? So, <laughs> we're, I, I'm well aware of that. But um, we... Uh, we played for a, a good long time. A lot of us went to the same college, so we had a, a pretty strong group. There were people that came and gone, but the core group kind of always stayed the same all the way through. And then you get out of college, and everybody kind of moves across the country and moves to different places. You lose lose touch with each other, and you know there wasn't a whole lot of uh, virtual tabletop at that point. You know, if you weren't able to meet up at somebody's house or at some game shop, it wasn't as easy to. Uh, to get a game together so that game kind of fizzled out right around 96 and then i was um uh, kind of slipped into the video games uh and started playing pretty consistently and doing video games across and i realized probably about i don't know 2010 2011 i'm like you know what all i'm doing is playing rpgs on the computer and it's a heck of a lot more fun to play RPGs with other people. So maybe I should branch out and start looking again. So I, uh, uh, I picked up fourth edition D and D, which was not everybody's favorite. Um, <laughs> most people are, it, it is a maligned edition of the, uh, of the game, but I got a group together and we were playing pretty consistently. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of been pretty consistent since then. Uh, my current campaign, I, I run 
roughly once a week, twice a week if we can get together. And we've been going for three and a half years on the same campaign. Um, my PCs are up to level 17 and we're kind of hitting end game. They're, they're, they're on their way to face against uh, a, a god, <laughs> if you will. So, um, you know, we're hitting that level 20, that high end, uh, and I'm doing all the writing myself, which is is uh, really rewarding and fun when you watch a whole bunch of people struggle uh, to uh, to figure out something that you put together or uh, just absolutely enjoy some encounter that you put together. So there's a there's a real sense of joy and creativity and DMing and running a campaign that you've built yourself. Oh, that's um, so I. I've been mostly out of the D and D world. Uh, we covered in Dan's interview about the whole like satanic panic thing. Um, right. I went through it. I I was playing during the satanic panic. Luckily, my parents were like, "I don't know why all these people are crazy, but it's a book." And yeah. I was like, "Cool, <laughs> <laughs> perfect." Um, <laughs> the it begs the question then. Um, have you have you always DM'd, or do you do you have some player characters that you've you've had the opportunity to go through that process? Uh, so I started as a player. Obviously, I think most people do. Uh, I feel almost bad for those that have to start as a DM because nobody else will do it. Um, and then off and on, I'll play a one shot or a small campaign. I did a, a Twitch uh, live play for about uh six months eight months um that unfortunately fizzled out because one of our players was in new zealand and with the time change and her going to school just couldn't happen but i was able to be a player in that game uh nice uh, uh human warlock character that uh that was fun to play had a little bit of a dark side but a heart of gold kind of guy um yeah i, I would say though <laughs> 95% of the time I am the DM. Yeah. It's cuz I'm willing to put in the work and do it and um my my friends appreciate it. So. That and and that's always kind of like the unsung hero part of yeah. um excuse me, the unsung hero part of gaming and tabletop <laughs> is that there does end up being a lot of back-end stuff whether you're doing um whether you're doing like D and D or like tabletop skirmish and that sort of stuff, there mm -hmm. is, there is quite a back end to it. And so I can, I can really appreciate that. I know I personally, as far as D and D is concerned, I enjoy like the map creation, the storytelling mm -hmm. and, and mostly map creation. Like I'm a weird map nerd. Um, mm -hmm. every now and then where I'm like, man, look at this thing and do this and you do this. And I've actually got, um, I've got a map, that I've built for a, po a prospect D&D game. Not that I would partake in it, but like just like, hey, here, here's a map. Use this map for the next D&D <laughs> &D game. Because um, like awesome. I said, I'm a map nerd. Uh, yeah. So JT's a cartographer. Nah. <laughs> I don't know about that. <laughs> um, so... I, this is just so... I, like this is this happened with Hulk Clubs too, where I'm like, man, I'm just learning. Um, the, what, so you started painting and you got in the D and D and you were like, Hey, I really like painting and all of that. Mm -hmm. Um, when you started to really push your painting and realize that you want to get better at it, what was, what was your favorite way to learn a new technique? Did you rely on YouTube? Did you rely on like 
fancy arts books. What what was your process through that? Um, I definitely leaned on YouTube early, and then this guy JT that I had been watching on uh, on Twitch um, made oh. made this offhanded comment that he probably doesn't even remember. Where he was like, you know, it's good to a point, but you've you've got to you've got to do stuff on your own. And, um, and I was like, you know, you're right. I, I could emulate this person that's painting on YouTube all day long. Am I really growing? And the answer when I really looked at it was no, I, I I'm emulating what I'm learning on the screen. Uh, and I'm just kind of copy and pasting. I'm not, I'm not actually pressing myself to try and, uh, figure out nice little color combinations or, or actually learn color theory or so. At that point, I started uh, pulling books and started reading and started doing more stuff, trying to figure out color theory and trying to figure out, um, you know, um, different techniques and different uh, different styles, different uh, brush strokes, different things you can do with different brushes. Kind of like what uh, Dan was saying, you know, you just don't really pay attention to there are hundreds of brush types and the things that you can do with each brush is really kind of amazing it's 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 fun to watch what the the difference you can have in a in a badger hair heavy brush uh when you're trying to get a certain kind of texture or uh a certain kind of uh, uh blend as compared to you know my kalinsky brushes where everything's super smooth and easy to use and you definitely understand why everybody's like the kalinsky sable is the way to go but in the long run you're kind of limiting yourself in a way that you probably shouldn't. Um, and then uh, that kind of led me to start trying new paints, trying new brushes, pulling out the airbrush for the first time and ordering one of those. Uh, and uh, and it's, it, it, it's just been a fun journey. So I would say it started with YouTube and it's ended with me reading a whole bunch of stuff and just trying. Like, hey... I see something that I like that this guy did. Can I figure out how he did it? And can I do it in a way that works for me? Yeah. Yeah. The, yeah. the, the self-taught journey in the reading is always, um, always good. So I know, um, and I recommend it on the channel all the time. If you haven't already, uh, massive voodoo is a great learning place. Mm -hmm. And uh, massive voodoo was really when I made my jump. So, uh, which right. is odd that it was a reading content when that happened rather than a video content. But I know most of the world is too lazy to read now. So <laughs> unfortunately, like instantaneous gratification, but there's a lot of good, a lot of good information in the reading. So what kind of books did you, have you been reading in order to your painting? Uh, so recently I picked up, here we go with scale 75 again. You'd think I was a, a fanboy, but they put out a series called the mini Minipedia, and they just ran a Kickstarter for the second part of the Minipedia. but it is a collection. I'm pulling it out just so I can, I can accurately, um, it is a collection of 10 books. They're probably all about a hundred pages each and each one focuses on a different skill set. So Paint, uh, just straight paintbrush, airbrush, skin, fabrics, uh, leather, metals, an MM, freehand and FX, sceneries, and then plinths and settings is the first set of uh, their Minipedia series. And there's just a lot of 
good try this, uh, see how you like it kind of uh, options in there. Like, here's one way to do leather, but here's three more ways that you can also try and do leather and which one works best for you. Uh, and so that's been that's been fun. I've kind of been going through each one, trying to uh, pull as much knowledge as I can out of it. Um, let's see, the other things. Uh, my, my grandfather gave me a book, and I cannot for the life of me remember the name of it. But my grandfather was a professional painter uh that's how he made his living he would uh he was a golf pro and then he did murals um at people's houses and at golf clubs for 80 years um he's he lived in places like hawaii um here in uh kissing camels in colorado springs uh he did palm desert you know he was just everywhere so i can actually go across the country uh from tennessee all the way to hawaii and go out and still see my grandfather's artwork in, in various places across various cities. So it's a, it's a pretty cool thing to do. And he gave me a book that was just basically about color theory. And it's probably, it was probably written in the fifties or sixties. Um, and yeah, very different timber to the book than a lot of stuff that you would read now. That's more modern, but he was like, this is where I started. Just, just take as much knowledge out of this as you can. And so I, I went ahead and uh, uh, read through it and, and did the exercises. And that alone has probably increased my, maybe not my ability, um, because I think, once again, as I said, I think that takes a lot of doing, uh, a lot of practice. But my confidence in increasing my ability uh, is, is much higher after reading that book. Um, I understand a little bit more about you know, when I choose this color, I'm choosing it for a reason now, not just because I think that color looks cool. You know, um, I'm choosing it because I know that with the rest of the colors that I want to put on this model, this is going to be a great shadow color. And, you know, so a perfect example is uh, that first mini I did this year that uh, we showed off on stream the other, uh, the other day. I gave a mini to my son, uh, who is five, and was like, base this for me uh, so i said i said paint it for me and so he i gave him some reaper paints i let him choose whatever colors he wanted and he just went to town and just threw a whole bunch of color onto this model and chose colors that would never be something that i would choose um and then we let it dry and he handed it to me and he said now now it's your turn because we had decided that we were going to paint it together uh and he was going to start it and i was going to finish it so um, he had given me this this greenish skin to work with, and I immediately was like, "Oh well, I'm I'm doing purple for the shadows," you know, and it, without even thought. Now, whereas before I would have been like, "Well, why? Wh I'm just going to do a dark green for the shadows, or I'm going to do a black for the shadows." Instead, I was like, "I'm going to do a purple for the shadows, and this is why I'm going to do a purple for the shadows, and it's going to bring out this sickly tone that I'm really looking for on an undead creature." Um, and so it's, it's really fun in my, in my head. I'll stop myself sometimes and go, well, you just did that. That's, that's the, you, you, you are learning, you're doing stuff. That's good. You keep going little rock star. <laughs> yeah. Nice TikTok <laughs> tie in big fan. Um, yeah. The, if you ever do find the name of that book, I would be really interested in knowing the name of that book. Yeah, I, I will, I will grab it and actually just send you, uh, 
send you a message with what it is. It's 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 buried upstairs, but I will grit it. Because uh, I know um, Dan Dan recommended me the book uh, Colors by Betty Edwards. Which... It's in my cart. <laughs> it's it's worth your time it's yeah. uh it's been a lot of fun even just to play with the paints uh and the exercises and stuff like that you kind of really start to understand mm-hmm. your own paints which is why i went on that journey on wednesday i'm like hey i'm gonna make another color wheel with these other colors because i don't mm-hmm. i don't truly understand how these paints work so let's take a hot minute and back up the bus and do this mm-hmm. so the and books books are like the unsung hero of the learning word world like and anymore yeah you know like just keep in mind too when you start getting into colors it's written like a textbook for college it's it's not like a hey let's explore your learning like i've got um color and light and imaginative realism by james gurney which are uh-huh. both fantastic books especially I, I really like imaginative realism because nothing we're painting is real heavy heavy air quotes so right. it's been really cool to read that um so you've got you've got the painting you've got the learning is anybody else in in your uh gaming group have they have they gotten into the painting in the hobby or is that basically just a strictly a you type thing so um, initially, I was I was very much alone on this journey. Uh, everybody was wrapped up in their 3D printers, and I started going, "Guys, you're printing out all these amazing things. You really want to leave them in that gray resin color their entire existence? Because you keep handing them to me, and I, I can paint a few of them, but I'm not going to paint all of them for you. I've got my own things that I'm trying to get done." Um, and uh, so a couple of them started picking some stuff up and um, uh, they are now painting pretty regularly. In fact, uh, before every before every session uh, that we have for D&D now, uh, two or three of my players will hold up whatever they're painting and show it to me now. And it's, you know, it's fun because I'm at, they're at that same part of the journey that I was at when I first came into your stream where, you know... Um, I, I really thrived on your positivity and the ability to share with you what I'm doing without feeling like, oh, this person's just going to be like, this sucks. <laughs> yeah, great job. Move along. Um, you know, there's I'm able to give them a couple tidbits of, you know, what I think will be helpful information. Uh, and they're able to use it and then come back and go, hey, is this what you were talking about? Or hey, uh, I tried what you did and I absolutely hated it, but then that caused me to do this and I absolutely love it. And it, it feels good. It's a, it's, a nice, it's a nice little bump on my journey where you know you start sharing that information and, and people start trusting you to give that information. Uh, you're not letting them down every time. And so now you understand I'm not lying to you when I say it's an absolute joy to watch painters like yourself and Hoclups mm-hmm. and a couple of others. It's an absolute joy to watch you guys yeah. grow as painters. Yeah. Um, and it is, it, it, it's so much fun to watch like the light bulbs come on and, and you know, the going from, I'm going to slap this paint on and it's way too thick and basically putting lipstick on a pig to I'm thoughtfully putting paint onto a model 
to make it look the way I want it to in my head. Absolutely. So on the whole painting front and your D&D group, uh, they're starting to paint more. Oh, man. Could I could just not hiccup and cough for like two seconds would be great. <laughs> um, your D&D group. Now that they started getting into painting and now that they've got the 3D printers on full tilt and everybody's in love with that and that is a hobby in its own right. It um, is. And then COVID hit and now so you guys have had to move everything everything online and mm -hmm. is that has that dampened any of the, the painting uh, from some of the people in the group or are they still pushing pretty hard and printing pretty hard? And yourself, too. I know um, you've been pretty active in the community throughout COVID, so I know you've been hitting hitting the desk with paint as for as long as I can remember. So I'm, I'm just curious if, if that was... They were in it because they got to see you in person or if they've continued to grow on their journey. So it's funny because it, uh, it did affect what was going on, but maybe not in the way you would think. Nobody was like... Oh, we're not going to sit at a table anymore. I'm not going to do this. Um, a lot of my buddies moved to like busts in figures, larger figures, cartoon, uh, comic book figures, you know, things that weren't necessarily D&D related, but they had a, an interest in the fandom. And so it gave them an opportunity to kind of branch out. Uh, one of my one of my guys is painting this huge Supergirl bust right now that, uh, you know, he's just really taking his time on. Absolutely loves it. Uh, and he, it looks great. He's doing great work on it. But he probably wouldn't have done that if it wasn't for COVID because he would be painting something D&D related. Um, and for me, it's allowed me to go from what do I need to paint to get on the table in the next three or four um, sessions to what do I want to paint because I want to paint it? What do I want to paint because it'll bring me the most joy right that's awesome. Just like get after a big fan. Um, yeah. The so and and from a comparison point, so I speak to uh, the people I do speak to and ask to, especially during COVID. The I'm curious as to know was it challenging to jump from uh, in table and it obviously was at some point um, being able to sit around and do all that. Was it was there a bit of pushback when you went to online, whether it be Roll20 or Zoom or however you managed to achieve that? Uh, we actually do a amalgamation of all of the above. Uh, we do all of our video chat on Zoom. We do all of our tabletop stuff on Roll20. And I probably wouldn't still be on Roll20, but it's what I bought the most stuff on. So I kind of stick there because I've put the money into it. Um, but um, we were at kind of a different place even with COVID pit because so many of our players had moved to different places. So I had one person in South Carolina had another person in Utah. Um, so we were already playing virtually in a lot of ways. Uh, they would come in and we'd have a camera of what we were doing. Uh, so now we just all go online and we have a camera what we're doing uh it's just a map that i have put into roll 20 instead of something that i put down on the table and so um 
we were lucky in the fact that we were already there in a lot of ways. So it wasn't a huge transitionary period for us. There wasn't uh, anything that um, really broke the flow of what we were doing. Uh, the only difference is that instead of having three of us at the same table and two of us on other sides of the country, we were all just now on the computer and looking at each other through a Zoom meeting. Uh, we still have the, uh, you know, unfortunately, the snacks maybe aren't as good as they were when we were all sitting together. But, um, you know, we, the, we still have the hour and a half of table talk and just, hey, how was your week uh, before every single session that we have? Uh, everybody checking in with everybody else. And, and so um, I think in a lot of ways we were kind of lucky that it didn't cause uh, I know a lot of people just stopped playing, didn't have the ability to play anymore, didn't want to play online, felt that they lost something in that in the translation. And and for me, as long as your group is solid and and you, we had the advantage that we had already been playing together, so we already knew kind of a dynamic already existed there. But as long as we knew that um, you know, everybody was gonna show up online, we were gonna be fine. It didn't really matter that we were gonna we were gonna lose out on some of that FaceTime because we still had Zoom. We still had the ability to talk about how our week was, and then we had the ability to see what was going on and still get immersed in other ways than we had been already. Awesome, awesome. I and that's I I find that personally awesome because like a lot of the people I talk to about say, hey, you know, in when COVID hit, did you take your Star Wars X-Wing online to tabletop simulator. And there are some people, uh, Hoclops, for example, who Infinity is not terrible to play on tabletop simulator. And neither is a lot of stuff. So I was just, it's always one of those touch and go situations where you talk to people and you're like, hey, how did how did that transition go <laughs> to throughout COVID, right? And I mean, for for myself and Berserker Works and some of the immediate people that I would play games with were mostly hobbyists anyways. So it was like, oh, we have to stay away and paint more darn. Oh darn. <laughs> right? Like Um that being said, we did we did manage to get a couple of games of like Frostgrave and stuff in. So I mean it's it's always really interesting as we kinda catch the tail end of this pandemic, or what I hope is the tail end of this pandemic. Don't we all? <laughs> yes. Uh, everybody would absolutely love this to be the fuck over. Um, <laughs> but I think, um, I think in, in a, in a lot of ways, I think tabletop, tabletop has thrived because of the pandemic. I think there mm -hmm. are a lot of people who were forced to stay home and be like, Hey, I've been thinking about trying this and now, and now they have, and now they're into it. Like your gaming group, like, Hey, I'm going to paint this Supergirl buster, Superwoman buster. Mm -hmm. Like, I think that's. That's super cool from a, a niche hobby perspective. Um, whether it be for D&D or Marvel Crisis Protocol or whatever. It, it's super, super interesting from that angle. Because I remember being in the start of high school and being interested in painting minis and being a nerd and having it be frowned upon that I painted tiny plastic assholes or I played video games or whatever. And it's it's really cool to be where I am now and see kind of how nerd culture is no longer nerd culture. It's the cool, the cool angle, right? Whereas right. a lot of the people that were running their mouth are now, Oh no. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Let, let the adults talk. 
Stop. <laughs> Stop thinking with the head between your legs. Start thinking with the one on your shoulders. Um, so, uh, when when you were learning a new technique in your painting, what what was you would you say is your biggest epiphany moment? The, um, I've asked everybody this question, and I always give this explanation. So, like my biggest epiphany moment was when I was watching Cujo, and he said like the difference between a wash and a glaze is you take most of the off on the paper towel on the paper towel yeah right what uh and throughout all of your learning and all your testing and your self-taughtness what what was your biggest epiphany moment if you have one um it's funny because i i can think of moments that move me forward uh in a lot of places so obviously like i said uh, the first time i thinned my paints and i realized oh you can get opacity without having this thing that just clogs up every single detail on the model. How amazing is that? Um, but I think for me personally, uh, it's when I realized that everybody has a style. Everybody has a, a broader style, right? That they're trying to emulate, whether it's more cartoony or more realistic. But outside of that, everybody has a different style. I can tell you, when I see a Dan, uh, for instance, a, a Dan picture come up on the whips in the Discord, I, I don't need to look at the name to know who did it. When I see a JT show up on the whips, I don't need to look at the name to know who did it. Everybody has a style. And I had been trying for so long to emulate everyone else's styles that when I settled down and I went, you know what? Some of the stuff that you do, other people don't do. It's something that you see in your mind and, and you translate onto the model with your with your hands and your skills that you don't see other people necessarily do. And that's cool. That's your style. Lean into that. Enjoy that. Improve upon it. But lean into the fact that you know that you see things that you do that other people don't do or that you do them in a different way. And that's your style. Enjoy it. Write it. Make it better. That's what you need to do. Don't rebel against your own. Style. Yeah. You know, you, I, I might never be the greatest freehand painter, you know, and be able to make these amazing tattoos and, and other stuff on flags, but I don't need to be because what I do that I like doing, I do well and I continuously try and be better at it. That's awesome. That's awesome. The, um, so just to tail tail off that one because the next question is usually involved like who whose painting do you want to be most like which i think you've answered you want to be most like your own painting um mm -hmm. but we're gonna ask anyway so like who in the who in the community at large right youtube massive voodoo books this that and the other thing um who influences your work the most and who do you want to be the most like and i mean not not in the sense that like hey if you could make make yourself like a mini Dan or in right. my, in my shoes, I, I always kind of remind myself. It's like, I'm not trying to be Matt jr. Right. Right. So like who, who's a lot of influence that you, you take from and uh, what are the things that you specifically like that those individuals do? Um, so who do I, Kind of a funny question because there are I pick and pull from so many people. 
Um, a list is fun too. So, like, I, I I find myself often watching uh, Angel Geraldez's videos because he puts out so many of them. And you know, as Vallejo's lead painter, he's he's got stuff all over the place, and he has a very concise way. Like, he can put on a thirty-second Instagram story and be like. These are the six things that I use to get this effect. And it's so clearly um, laid out that you don't even question. You're not like, oh, I don't understand how you do it. He has such an amazingly smooth way of being able to show you what he's doing that I find myself pulling stuff from him all the time. Uh, he just put one out the other day. It was literally, it was like a two series. I think he has a full YouTube video, but what I saw was like a, uh, two 30 second clips on like Facebook or something where he painted a barrel and weathered it with rust. And he showed how he did that. And then he went over it with uh, some, basically some weathering uh, gel that allows the paint to flake off Then painted like this turquoise over it on this barrel and took a nice hard brush and, and removed and chipped off the paint. It was a, a, a Vallejo chipping medium, I think is what he was using. And, uh, and by the end of it, you know, he had probably spent a good, you know, what, two, three hours doing this, but in those two 30 second clips, I was like, I can do what he did. And I confidently know I can do what he did. Um, so I would say he's a huge influence. Um, there are other people that influence me in much different ways. Uh, there's, a there's another Twitch streamer, Maddie Morgs, who's a D and D Twitch streamer does a lot of, um, like DM workshops and stuff, creating stuff. But every month he has one week where he does painting and he is by no means an amazing painter. He's, he is a solid painter and he does good work, but he shows everybody how to get into painting and how the, the barrier that everybody puts in front of it, either the cost or the talent uh, barriers that people put in front of it um, aren't really barriers. Like he takes a plastic cup, some cheap paints, uh, some paper plates or some plastic plates as his palette, and he will lay down just this amazing paint job on a WizKids pre-primed mini with all of their wonderful seams and, and mold lines. And by the end of it, it's a solid-looking mini that anybody would be happy to have on their table. Um, and just that joy and that understanding of you don't have to be perfect every time has been huge. Uh, so I take a lot of that from Maddie. Uh, um, of course there's you, Dan, so many people in our, in the, in this community that you look at their works and it's just impressive what they do from, from Gore doing something that I wouldn't have expected him to do, uh, all the way up to, you know, you and Dan laying down the try hard minotaur challenges and just having these amazing pieces. Um, you know, I, I, I just like picking and pulling from, from the people that I see more often. I, d I don't need it to be that famous person. Who's that Russian lady that does the free hand on the horses and does all the historical figures? I don't know if you know who I'm talking uh, about. Is that Kaha? Can't, I can't remember. But she, her free hand, she will lay down the most intricate, amazing free hand and lay actual sapphires into her resin models. And they're gorgeous. And... I take nothing away from it other than, wow, that's gorgeous. Um, whereas I can look at somebody 
here in our community or somebody that's throwing down some paint like teals on uh, uh, on Twitch and I can go, hey, I get it. I might not learn exactly what you're doing, but I get what you're doing. I appreciate what you're doing and I can pull some of what I've seen and make it my own. It's like the, the theme of your painting career is I like that. I'm going to try it, but it's going to yep. be my way. Yeah, pretty much. Um, which is great, which is absolutely great. I think that's, uh, that's super important uh, to have that and the faith and the capacity and your own ability to paint, which is always, uh, which is always something I think is lost in the miniature painting community, depending on what, what angle you enter from. Right. Yeah. Uh, it's like if you enter from Warhammer, you're like base coat wash highlight. You're done, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that, right? No. I mean, like the mindset that I've noticed of talking to people coming from Warhammer and the mindset of the people coming from D and D, they're vastly different. And mm -hmm. the D and D is just happy to have painted models on the table. Warhammer and by and large army gamers are you're doing it wrong because you never bought my company's brand of paint and did it their way. Um, in, in a nutshell, right? Like, uh, and again, there's nothing wrong with, with either of those. Um, no, absolutely not. Those approaches to painting. So we're going to jump back into a couple more gamer questions here. So when you're, when you're DMing mm -hmm. and over the course of your career as a, a DM, have you have you tried some overarching theme? Have you been like, I really want this to be, uh, for lack of better topic at the point, like I really want this to be grim dark, or I want this to be Camelot esque, or right. I want everybody to die? Is this high fantasy, low fantasy grinder? Yeah. Um, so for me, um, I always and. A lot of people see DMing as uh, us versus them. Uh, that 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 perception is changing more readily in the in the community in the D and D community now. For me, it's always been I'm just a player. I just get to play a whole lot of people, and I know what's going to happen before you do. So, um, I think for me, I always take what my players give me. I have some amazing grim dark stuff written up that I would never use with my current table because one of my players just absolutely does not like strong horror themes, strong dark themes. And so for her, um, because I appreciate my players and I appreciate her, her viewpoint, I'm not going to take it that way. Um, and there are, Inevitably, things that happen in D&D, you're fighting monsters and everything else, where it gets kind of grotesque. But Grimdark is constantly oppressively um, grotesque and hard and, and, you know, frightening. And for her sake, I would never do that. Um, I also like the uh, kind of magic is fleeting. Um, magic is very special. There's not a lot of magic items in the world. That's not the table I have, though. The table I have, they want all the booty. They want as many magical items, as powerful as they can get. They want to be superheroes by the end. So everything I do right now is super high fantasy. Uh, I write out crazy new magical weapons that they find along the way. I uh, 
you know, I have to constantly increase the power of my monsters to match the weapons that I've given them or threaten to have single round combats throughout. Um, so, um, world of Warcraft, the D and D. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. I, I mean, and, and I think a lot of that is that a lot of the people I play with right now were Warcraft were computer gamers and had not really approached the, um, um, Thanks. Thanks, computer. I appreciate it. I shouldn't have said your name. Um, as uh, as video game players, they their thing is you get as much good stuff as you can get. You get as much gold as you can get because that's why you're doing what you're doing. Um, where I played with much more narrative groups that are much more into the story. And for those guys, I'll pull out the grim darks. I'll pull out the uh, more low fantasy, more Camelot style. Um, just, uh, I've got a great setting called Brancolia, which is like, uh, think of like brigands in Italy, kind of like, uh, almost, a, a spaghetti Western D and D style. Uh, and for narrative, it's, it's a lot of fun. Like they get to, to play these, you know, uh, morally on the line characters doing things that uh, maybe you wouldn't normally see in a D&D game where you're trying to be a hero. They're not necessarily trying to be a hero in Brancolia. They're trying to be brigands. They're trying to be, they're trying to get the best score. They're, you know, trying to uh, kidnap the royalty to get the, uh, to get the best, uh, the best price from her father or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I, I kind of, I guess the, the long answer was that the short answer is I just cater to the players that I have in front of me and give them, uh, that's why session zeros are so important. You figure out where people's lines are, what people's interests are. I have a, uh, playing with me is kind of like, uh, getting a job. I have a three page. 75 question plus any answers you want to put on the back end of things that you expect, things that you would like to see, things that cross the line. Um, how do you feel about this, 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 and this? Um, and then I'm able to take all that and put it together and, uh, and, and craft a story that'll work for the people that are in front of me. And that's awesome. So and that's going to tie into, and I'm really glad you said it was kind of spaghetti Western. Um, so you've got really quickly before I jump into the next question, how many, how many groups do you DM for? And are they uh, the same group of people you're DMing different games for? Or, or do you have like, this is Fred in the gang and here's Sally in the gang. Type <laughs> thing. So I currently have three active groups. Uh, I have my, my main group, which we've been running for three and a half years that, uh, we meet once a week and then I have uh, a bi-weekly group where we're doing the Brancolia. It's a completely different group of people that uh, just happened to, uh, I had a friend and he was like, Hey, you run D and D it back to the pandemic causing lots of people to jump into tabletop. Hey, uh, is this something that you would be willing to do for me, my wife and a couple of friends? And I was like, yeah, I, I don't really know you, but let's sit down and figure out what we want to do. And then I have a once a month group that's, Kind of like my 
old, old school school group. Uh, there's still a lot of us that, you know, there's two of us that played together in high school. Uh, and then another three of us that have been playing together since college. And that group is more, um, I don't know. It's kind of like eating comfort junk food, you know, like we, we, we have these characters that we've had forever. Uh, we don't need to meet every week. Um, but when we get together, it feels like it's, it's been hours since the last time we played. And, uh, and the story that we have can meander and go a million different directions because we're so comfortable with, with each other. And we, we don't have to actively navigate each other's personalities. We, we know, what each person can handle. So you throw as much as you can right up to that point. Um, and you know, those are the best kind of friends, right? The, the same reason that you, you talk trash to the, the people you love the most because they can handle it because they can handle it and they appreciate it. Um, and they're going to give it right back to you. So absolutely. Um, and so we're going to tie in here and you did say, so you've got that, that high fantasy, that world of Warcrafty group, right mm-hmm. um where everyone needs to get the the fat loops you need the the epics and the legendaries and right. then you've got this spaghetti western this low life like let's be a bunch of bandits and assholes uh-huh and and you've got this other other group and that's fine i'm curious as to know do you take um your D, whether it be fourth edition or five edition right and do you modify that or have you considered looking at other game systems? So I specifically bring this question up because I'm very much a skirmish gamer. And I watched a couple of videos from GMG Games, him playing Malifaux 3rd Edition. Which mm-hmm. the big thing for that is rather than dice, it uses a deck of cards. And not like a fancy deck of cards. Like you have 52 bicycles and then two jokers. Which I thought was a super interesting way to handle combat. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm now I'm just trying to like, do I build two war bands to try to get my gaming group to try this or what? But I know that weird games has, um, I don't know what the hell is it called? Penny. The other side, it's called the other side. The other side, which is, I believe their, their RPG game. And then they've got, uh, mm-hmm. they've got a couple of expansions and stuff like that. So I'm I'm curious. Have you have you gandered at any other game systems? And I dare not tell you the one designed by Chris Metz and, and the Warcraft team because I did that once to a D and D group and I got blasted like hard. <laughs> <laughs> so, so um, of course is the easy answer there. Um, as somebody that continuously is is looking for just to absorb as much as I can. Like, um, I know not everybody can see it, but. These are all 5e source books behind me. But if you were to look on the other side, there are about 16 other systems that I have books for um, that I have yet to play a game of uh, because D&D 5e is the comfortable blanket right now. Everybody can get underneath the covers and, and have a good time and not have to worry about it. Um Blades in the Dark is a system that I am really, really interested in. It is a system that's set up um, to be kind of DM light, um, and it is uh, very much like a, it's a same kind of roguish thing where uh, you're part of a gang of of thieves or brigands, and you're trying to outwit the other two brigands in the city, uh, and they have this huge city. It's a great system. 
um, that I just haven't been able to convince anybody to play yet. Um, you know, I tried Pathfinder. Pathfinder is, is, is interesting. It's in a lot of ways. It's like 4e. There's just a lot of, uh, heavy mechanics that, that happened in, in Pathfinder. Uh, it's more like a D and D 3.5. Um, and whereas D and D five E is, is plug and play. It's very easy. It's more about the narrative than the, uh, you know, beats and everything that you can possibly do and roll a dice for and add to the number of the, uh, you know, bonus that you get, blah, 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 blah. So, um, what other, uh, Monty Cook games puts out a ton of great stuff. He wrote for D and D a lot in the early years of before even wizards of the coast kind of thing. Uh, and, was on i think he was on the team when they transitioned to wizards of the coast but he has his own gaming system which is just terrific and you can build any kind of system around a money cook system right so if you wanted to play a sci-fi game you could play a sci-fi game if you wanted to play a modern you know heist game you could do that off of a money cook system so i've got a lot of that stuff um what else uh i mean the easy answer is i've got a thousand things here that I would love to play in different systems, uh, but I play 5e because um, <laughs> that's what my players are comfortable with. So um, I, I constantly kind of probe and I'm like, hey, do you want to try this? But, you know, for, for the group that we've been going for three and a half years, until we're done with that campaign, they're not really interested in branching out into anything else. And we're, we're getting closer. Uh, so I, I'm going to keep pushing, maybe try and get them to play Blades of the Dark after this. Or uh, perhaps something a little bit more sci-fi. I, I, I played a lot of cyberpunk and a lot of uh, White Wolf, the Vampire the Masquerade werewolf games uh, in high school and college as well. Um, and I have a lot of friends that are still very much into uh, into those games. Uh, but uh, I don't know, that, that D10 system kind of has passed me by. And uh, the the basic uh gameplay is is not as much fun for me as it was when i was an edgy teenager i guess mm, you know playing a vamp playing yeah. an edgy vampire as a teenager is easy playing an edgy vampire at, at 45 is uh almost just embarrassing yeah. i think um <laughs> that's that's par for the course uh, i think most people feel that way whether it be harry potter wizards twilight vampires or yeah. jack sparrow pirates at some point in time <laughs> at some point so in time that appeal wears off and you're kind of like the fact that harry potter always wins or jack is always witty or so-and-so is always handsome kind of wears off well uh, my pe my favorite thing is you look back at those things that maybe you liked as a as a kid or earlier on in your your teens and 20s and you read them now and you're like, God, you are incredibly whiny. Like everything you do is so self-serving and whiny. What? Why was I ever interested in what you had to say or do? <laughs> it's, uh, it's funny because it's true. Um, barring, can, can I just really quick make a caveat? Like I'm very Lord of the Rings. I don't. Oh, yeah. Sam, Samwise being particularly whiny when he's trying 
to get Gollum away from Frodo. But I mean, but beyond that, there isn't a whole bunch of whiny. It's just lots of friendship and competition, and I like it. Yeah, yeah. Um, which is that's awesome. I, I uh, stop whining, get after it. Um, <laughs> right just just do what you say you're going to do stop telling me how you're going to do it and why it's so hard for 15 pages yeah so let's uh let's move in we're kind of coming into the tail end of the conversation here and yeah um well doesn't have to necessarily have to be but i've only got a handful of questions left um bring it back to the painting here so i know you spend quite a bit of time in my stream but in the <laughs> And the time I can't be live all the time when you're painting. So my question to you is, and not to say that you specifically listen to me when I'm live. Um, Most of the time, but yeah, not all the time. <laughs> when, when you're painting, when you're, you're sitting down and you're like, I want to blitz this out or I want to do this, that, or the other thing. What, what do you listen? Do you do, do you do podcasts? Do you do audio books? Do you have YouTube up in the background? Uh, Twitch? What's, what's your go-to listen? uh so it's funny because uh obviously i've already listened to dan's uh dan's episode and it was so funny because i, I feel the same way he does i can't put on a movie or an audiobook because i'm going to give those my full attention and i'm not going to pay attention to what i'm doing i could maybe do a movie that i've seen a thousand times but even then when it gets to the point where i know there's something coming up that i think is really cool I'm going to just start watching that. So most of mine is vaporous Twitch streams. Um, you know, I don't even necessarily go with painting streams because I tend to want to watch what people are doing when they're painting, like when Wapple's painting or you're painting or, or anything else, I'm trying to, to glean some information. Um, so I'll put on, you know, like something, just somebody's playing, cod or playing destiny something that i don't have to be involved with that if i miss an hour of and i turn around and just happen to catch a five minute i still know what's going on there, there's no narrative that is lost um there's no information that i'm losing in that time period so um it's funny because there have been a number of times where uh, i've either either had your stream on or even maddie's or um uh teals is another one that i've had on that i've just had to turn it off because i realized I, I wanted to paint tonight and all i'm doing is sitting here watching somebody else paint so I, if i'm going to paint i'm going to need to turn this stream off for something a little bit more vacuous so and, and that's that's no problem um i understand that which is as a twitch streamer and trying to interact with the community i don't end up watching a whole bunch of streamers myself because i always i always want to be interactive i always want to be like in in the conversation and when i rate i try to um and i've got a book that i'd like to talk about real quick here after this bit yeah. but sure. you know it's it's always kind of good to understand where people are coming from like i personally i can put music on i can put an audio book on in the background and i can white noise the hell out of it and just I can sink into that flow state, into that zone, and just the white noise is the white noise. Kind of like I know what's happening in Call of Duty, or I know in this and that. Right. I'm I'm very much on the same boat. I can't watch movies. Um, I even I even hate movies and TVs in restaurants because, like, 
ask ask my wife it's terrible like if there's if we go into a sports bar and there's tvs and then like we make the order and then i'm just like staring and drooling at the tv and it could be right. something dumb like cricket man you just watch all the europeans and everybody else around the world is just made bad by shit talking cricket but um it'd be like huh? i can just gonna <laughs> stare at the tv and my wife's like what are you doing you never watch tv i'm like but it's there Hey, you um, know what? It's only a billion people in India that you really, really ticked off. So don't worry about it. I mean, it's a very small part of the population. The uh, so uh, I totally, I totally understand that, and there's no, there's no hard feelings. If you got to turn it yeah. off to get some painting done, get some painting done, because that's ultimately what I want. I want people to keep painting. Yeah. Um, let's uh, let's get into some of the. Oh, we got one last. Two last questions here. Um, this one comes straight from Dan, so you can blame him for it if you have a hard time with it. Why do you paint? Um, again, a transitionary question. I painted initially because I thought it was cool and because I wanted to put models on the, on the table. Um, I paint now because... It is one area in my life, um, and I'm sure everybody that's a parent knows that no matter how much control you think you have, you don't have any. Um, and no matter how much you want to watch what you want to watch, uh, you're not going to watch that. You're going to watch Paw Patrol. Um, <laughs> I mean, it is the one area in my life where I can sit down and I can actively kind of, like you said, zen out. Think about what I want to do. Be creative. And it's not for anyone else. It's for me. Um, and it's my ability to be selfish and enjoy my my time with myself and my creativity. Um, you know, my wife it does not play games. She doesn't, doesn't paint minis. Uh, my wife likes uh, Real Housewives and is a very different person than i am in that sense um but even like she can appreciate the fact that when i go downstairs to paint um that that's that's me time that's that's the time that i need i don't need to go to the clubs i don't need to go out and and go to the ball game i don't need to go drinking i need to go downstairs and paint and have some me time that's and so that's that's where where painting is now for me um and it's nice because even though she might not be into any of those things she can appreciate the work that goes into them now so uh it was funny because when i first started painting she's like oh yeah that's nice and now i'll bring something up and i'm like this is what i'm working on and this is why i'm doing it and i think that passion is is a lot of times uh contagious like just like laughing you know when you are passionate about something somebody is instantly going to take more interest in it. So now that I bring something up to show her, A, she knows I'm bringing it up because I'm proud of it and it's something I want to share with her. And B, she gets more excited about it now. She she can see things now that she might not have been able to see before. So, um, yeah, it's 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 very selfish. It's very self-grandizing and, 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 uh, and uh, I get to show people stuff and go, look what I painted and I'm real proud of it. Uh, and then they get to say, yeah, that's really cool. And I'm like, yeah, you bet your ass it's cool. Um, so. hey, darn tootin', that's fucking right. So I'm cool. You're not. Boom. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, just kind of waiting for that dude. Like, 
talking about the whole nerd being cool now. I'm just waiting for that pendulum to swing way too far. Swing back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I know. Um, Oof. It's it's going to be a hard fall from grace when it does happen. Um, oh, yeah. And and so on top of that, to kind of add, add um, a question to that. So as... As you're painting for your yourself as regions, what's end game like? If you could off into the future, and I'm not going to say like five years because let's get real here, nobody thinks that far ahead. No, you know, like end game, like if you could sit down and be like, this, this is end game. This would be nice. If I get there, great. If I don't, great. Um, like for me, it happens to be like if I happen to enter a competition and win, that's great. But like. <laughs> What's what's the end game for the why you paint? End game. Um, and that and that being said, like it doesn't have to be competition. If you just if the end game yeah. is just an hour or two hours of your own time in your own head, listening to your own thing, that that can be a thing too. I honestly think end game for me is um, right now. Obviously, things change, but end game for me is to be able to be able to pick something up uh and, and this is something that i don't remember if you suggested it or or if it was somebody else uh, pick up a model that i painted two years ago now uh, you know i'm into my third year of painting and i'm going to in a couple of months pick up one of the first models that i ever painted and i'm going to paint it again and i want to be able to set those down side by side and go yep you're better you're not great yet you're definitely better. And I want to be able to do that every year or two years for the next however long until arthritis racks my, my body and I can't paint anymore unless I'm using my teeth. I want to be able to do that and just be able to see for myself, yep, you're doing better. You're doing good. And that's, that is an absolutely wonderful end game and an absolutely wonderful why. All right. Uh, into the fun questions. Not, no, not quite the fun <laughs> questions. Not yet. Um, if the roles were reversed, Master Daily. Yes, sir. And you were interviewing me, or you were interviewing yourself. What is one question that you would ask that I didn't ask? Oof. Um, well, basically, uh, I'm surprise, surprise. For that's the yeah, surprise, surprise. How is that the hardest one? Oh, right, because it's it's for content. Um, <laughs> I mean, in the same breath, too, though, what what can end up being you can take this question as um, maybe you're super passionate about fill in the blank thing, maybe right. you really right. like painting your miniatures with your nose. I don't know. All I'm getting at is like, <laughs> is there something that you would like to share about your hobby that I never triggered in a question? So I guess for me, it would be what, what one thing in the hobby have you done that you're most proud of? Because I think a lot of times, like you said, and like I've said a number of times already, you get so down on yourself and you, you have such a negative output in a lot of cases. Like you, you, you say, you know, 
like like I said after the first one, oh, this is absolute dog shit. Um, but there is, you know, like for me, um, Dungeons and Lasers put out a whole line of dragons. And last year I sat down and I decided that was my try-hard piece last year. I was going to paint this thing and it was going to look amazing. And I wasn't going to settle for anything else. And I spent the most time and the most effort and I sat down and I did color swatches and I, I, I did everything I could to get it right where I wanted it. And it's not perfect, but God damn, I'm proud of it. That's, and that's, and that's fantastic. Um, I'm just realizing now that I've asked that question. Uh, thank you, Discord, for fucking up my sound. Um, I forgot another question in the gaming variety, so we're going to touch that real quick before we get into the last oh, couple of yeah. questions. Um, yeah. And it's not there because I forgot to write it down. Uh, I'm really excited, Daily, just before we get back into this last question. I really want to say sitting here and talking with you for this about an hour and a half that we've been working and chatting together. It's mm -hmm. been so cool to hear your approach as like, just get after it. Um, and, and whether you, who you got that from doesn't matter. It's something that I really, I really like to identify with. And is this kind of like, yeah. um, we're not here to fuck spiders. Let's go. Right. Mm -hmm. Like it's not, it's every now and then like there's only so much fiddle fucking around you can do before you realize you're, <laughs> you've either bit off more than you can chew and you've got to get after it and do your very best <laughs> or, you know, Hey, you didn't do it as well. I'm, I'm super excited to know that that's your mindset going forward. So thank you for that upfront. And, um, as a kind of a gamer question, do you have any moments in any of your games, uh, of D and D or otherwise that, highlight as like hey you know you sit down with that that team from junior high school and you're like hey remember that mm -hmm. time that so-and-so lawn darted off the building into a yeah. fill in the blank do you have do you have any moments like that that um that ha or does that happen on a frequent basis or do you have those per per group i i i'm lucky uh I, they happen more often um now than they might have used to and i think a lot of that has to do with the fact that I'm so much more comfortable as a DM and I can pivot because those moments only occur when your players go off the rails. Uh, generally that is when that situation occurs, they're going to do something that you have not written, not prepared for, have no idea where it's going to go, but you're going to go with it and you're going to see where it's at. And so I can give you my latest one, which happened actually three weeks ago. Um, there, the party was in this town uh, they were meeting with uh, a very, uh, basically an archmage uh, in that town who wasn't there at the time, and they had to be on their best behavior uh, while they waited for this guy to get in town to have their meeting with him. Well, they went and uh, ended up getting in trouble with one of the uh, one of the soldiers in town, and uncorked a bottle of fog and threw it into the middle of a huge group of merchants and screamed fire. So literally, this is one of the situations where your player has literally uncorked a bog, bottle of fog and it's a bottle of smoke, basically. And it's just pouring out into all these merchants and they're calling fire. And so I have to deal with what the guy that is the problem is doing, what all of these 
poor merchants have to deal with. And then what would the rest of the party is going to do? One of the players ended up uh, trying to pull off the, somebody had stolen their bottle of fog and they were really excited and they needed it back um, and failed miserably on their deception. So, you know, nobody was going to believe them for a second. He ended up in jail uh, and uh, was being questioned when he realized that he had the essence of death flower that he had gotten. Oh, I don't know, probably a year ago now and had never used it. And he's like, I'm just going to go ahead and take that out and pour it all over both of us and see what happens. Uh, and the, the guy that jailed him bailed his saving throw. So he ends up passed out on the floor. Uh, my player character is screaming for help and we got attacked by something and, oh my God, the odor, the odor. And, you know, they open up the door and all this odor starts going out. Everybody else, all these guards start failing. Um, and then he casts, he's a wizard. He casts a spell uh, confusion and he ends up confusing some of the guards which causes one of the guards to kill another one of the guards and so there's this just this whole line of bodies and death coming out behind this guy who's in jail while the rest of the party's sitting on the other side of town trying to figure out how they're going to get him out uh, without alerting the archmage that they've got themselves in trouble and by the time they were at the end of it there were like five dead guards a whole bunch of passed out guards and he was hiding in the forest outside of town waiting for them to find him. And the rest of the, the players come rushing into, to the, to the place where uh, he was taken hostage only to be also inundated with the smell, which lasts for um, it, it's a four hour kind of essence that stays like kind of a cloud. Half of the PCs are knocked out uh, and also laying on the floor. They have to go find their friend and then they have to go in and explain everything to the archmage on why they couldn't just stay at the inn, drink the beer that he paid for, and stay out of trouble. And it was the best four-hour session we have had in in probably a month or two. And it had nothing to do with the story, had nothing to do with anything that I had planned for them that night. And it those off the cuff moments will always be the ones that you talk about years down the road. Yeah. Hey, we fucked up. So we fucked yep. up some more and then it fucked up. <laughs> um, so, um, fantastic. Let's, let's get into the tail end of these questions daily and we'll let you free and on your way. The, sure. uh, are you a brush licker? I am. You are a brush licker. Not uh, not when there's paint, so not when there's paint on the brush, but after, I, much like I think Dan also said this, after I rinse my brush, I will I will lick the brush to get the point where I want it. Okay. Um, and you've obviously read the warning about cadmium toxicity and all that other stuff. So. Yeah, luckily, luckily, if it if it has cadmium in it, I, I, I'm pretty aware. So. Um. And I don't do it with my oil paints. Uh, obviously, that would. I did would once. It's not a good bad. time. It's, yeah, that would be a bad thing. It was a bad time. Um, I did it while co-streaming with Steep Tea. Um, oh no! It was like my first foray into oils, and we were going to do oils together. And I licked the brush. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I felt so bad because Steep Teas is like a PG thirteen stream. Like there's no swearing, and I dropped like <laughs> the heaviest f bomb <laughs> his stream had ever seen. 
He's such a nice and pleasant guy. I could definitely see him like being like, oh. <laughs> but he was laughing because he knew exactly what happened. He was like, you licked yeah. the brush, didn't you? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> um, the beverage, beverage during your painting. Are you coffee or tea or are you uh, cold beverage? What's, what's the beverage of choice? So I do... Um... Both is is the easy answer. Uh, I am a chai tea with two shots of espresso when I want to stay up and I know I'm going long. It's called a dirty chai. Um, okay. You, uh, for those curious why he answered that, my face contorted into like, why would you put espresso <laughs> in tea? Um, yeah. It's it's delicious is the answer to that question. Uh, but most, but my 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 uh, guilty pleasure is Coke Zero. I drink way too much of it, and that is generally what I'm drinking in when I'm painting. Oh, and that's all right. I mean, it's hard to dip yep. your brush in a Coke can. Um, yeah, and trust me, uh, I've been jealous of all these people that have only dipped their brushes into their drink one time because I am guilty of doing it more than I would like to admit. I've only got the once. I've gotten close after that time, um, but that was that was because my paint cup and my coffee cup were beside each other like an idiot. Um, so, yeah, I, I purposely put them on other sides of the desk and still manage somehow to go, oh, there's a cup. And it's not like they look the same at all. My, my paint cup is a plastic cup with Reaper Mini on it that I got, you know, from ReaperCon. And I have a wooden coffee cup that, for some reason, I just feel like i need to dip my brush into and then there's always the internal struggle of well do i drink it or do i dump it out <sighs> that's a drink news flash news flash i always drink it um, yeah so <laughs> that's a that's a drink it scenario um and the final question before we get into the sign out here when or if you like to travel what is the reason for travel do you travel for the sights and the scenes or do you travel for the food? This one, for those of you curious, this question comes from my lovely wife. That, she that, figured it'd be a good question to ask. M. Stark laying down the knowledge. That's nice. Um, so, uh, is both an acceptable answer? So, I, I, I am big on traveling. The wife and I are huge on traveling. We... We have a condo in St. Martin, the island of St. Martin, which is half Dutch, half French, and it's down in the Caribbean. Um, and that we go uh, once every other year there. Uh, and the other half, we always, uh, the other year, the off year, we always take a European vacation to somewhere. And uh, we always pick somewhere where we are interested in the food and the sites. So... Um, I think the only exception for that was Scotland and England, where we weren't interested in the food and only the sites. Um, but uh, we've we honeymooned and spent um, I don't know three or four weeks in Spain because we wanted to try food from all the different regions and see all the different sites. The Alhambra was always high on my uh, hundred sites to see before I die list, so I went to. Alhambra in Gin Life in Granada. Uh, we got to try paella that was made in a skillet that was so big you could put a, a family of 10 in. Um, 
And, you know, I, I, I think a huge part of any culture is the food. Um, but I guess to travel somewhere, you have to be interested in where you're traveling. I guess it can't just be about the food for me. I have to also want to see other things while I'm there. So my wife would disagree with you and would say that the food is indicative enough of the travel <laughs> destination. I have had some amazing food in some amazing places from, from Paris to, uh, all the way to Dublin, but um, yeah, I, I I think the best meal I ever had was uh, one that was cooked by my mom because memories and emotions. Yeah, absolutely. So um, she brought me that question today, and she's like, "Here, add this to your list of random questions." And uh, she said, "Do you travel for the sights and the sounds, or do you travel for the food?" And I was like what's yours and she's like the food duh and then like walked out <laughs> and i was like all right well i know the travel destinations uh are based on food so um hey fi find uh the finest gourmet places and uh make sure that there's also something you want to do there which i think is hilarious because just like offhand off quit like about the traveling i used to work with a uh, portuguese guy in the portuguese mafia mm -hmm. i used to call them and he was talking about why I hadn't traveled and it was, I didn't have my passport. And now that we're into COVID times, it's going to be interesting. But, um, I told him where I was likely to travel first and he was like, "Ugh, don't go there. He's like, you know, go there for like a week. Okay. And then come, come to Portugal, come to my house and, and we will eat till you're full and drink till you're drunk and we'll do it all over again. We'll do it for a couple of weeks. You'll have the best lobster. You'll have the best seafood. You'll mm. have the best view. You'll have the best everything. And um, there's there's a lot of story that goes behind uh, the Portuguese mafia, or what I call the Portuguese mafia. They're not the mafia, not like the real mafia. They're just a group of individuals. I, I mean, we, with. We, we, we that are in the community know that you just need to label everything as mafia, you know, <laughs> whether it's... Whether it's feline and cat mafia, or shorty shorty mafia, you know, there, there's the cartel. There's a million. Yeah. yeah, the cartel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I mean, like that probably stems from work because I used to work with what I call the Filipino mafia. There was an entire crew of Filipinos, nicest people uh -huh. I've ever met in my entire life. And then there was a group of Portuguese, and you used to call them the Portuguese mafia. By the way, he wasn't lying to you. The, the Iberian Peninsula in general, Spain and Portugal, you're going to eat well and you're going to see some of the most beautiful, amazing things you've ever seen. So, And so I'm going to have to go and find uh, Giorgio and yeah. have a big and rich time. So thank you very much, Daly, for the interview. I, um, I'm really excited to have learned all that I did, especially about your mindset going forward and just trying the paint. Um where can the fine individuals find you on social media? Uh, well, uh, I have an Instagram. Um, I have a Twitch channel that never goes live, so you don't need to worry about that one. Uh, but I would say Instagram's probably where, even though it's not a constant posting, I post the most of my things. Or inside your your, your Discord would be another location where you can see me. Um, uh, and I have those handles. I believe it's at Master Daily. Not Master Daily, yeah, D E I G H L E. So we will uh, we'll put those Instagram links down in the description, and 
we will have a good one. So, ladies and gentlemen, make sure you go and give him a follow. Uh, Daily has been a long-time viewer and follower of the channel. Well, lovely to watch him grow as a painter. So, make sure you go and check him out. Thanks very much again, Daily, and I'll Thanks catch for you in the next one. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs>